Halloween. Welcome to episode 28 of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, the father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, a.k.a. Matt Rawlings. I am joined, as always, by my trusty co-host, Jackson the Sun. And I'm not only excited because I have a long weekend this weekend because of MLK Day, I'm also excited because we're talking about one of my top five favorite living directors today, Talk About Cloud Nine. Oh, top five. We got to get into that. Well, folks, we are a spoiler podcast. We do spoil the movies we discuss. And we are discussing a bunch today because we are paying tribute to the great John Carpenter, who turned 72 this week. Buddy, overall thoughts on Mr. Carpenter? Well, obviously, he's a legend. I mean, a lot of the most iconic movies in the horror genre can be attributed to him, whether he directed them, wrote them, or maybe just inspired them in some way or another. I mean, his probably his most famous movie, Halloween, pretty much defined the American slasher for several yep. years. I mean, everything was basically a clone of Halloween. So that shows how influential he is. And every single one of his movies... Uh, were either indicative of the time period or kind of prophetic of what the genre would become later on. Yeah, I, you know, I told my story, I think today when Dave Becker was on, it may have been offline when we were discussing things, but when I was in Hollywood uh, as an aspiring filmmaker in the late 80s and early 90s, and people would ask me, who are your favorite directors? Kind of like now we would ask, who's your, you know, Mount Rushmore? I would say Hitchcock, they'd nod. I'd say John Ford, they'd nod. I'd say David Lean, primarily because Lawrence of Arabia is amazing. They'd need, they, they would, you know, nod. And then I'd say John Carpenter, and it was like <laughs> I'd farted at the dinner table because, mm-hmm. you know, he's finally received some love, but, you know, he in the late 80s, early 90s, he was not getting that love. Nope. Um, he was born, like you, Jackson, in upstate New York, Mm-hmm. but grew up in Bowling Green, Kentucky, where his father was a professor at Western Kentucky University. He attended Western Kentucky University, but then transferred to USC film school, but never graduated. He was actually like two credits short of graduating, has never gone back. But all that being said, let's jump into his filmography, shall we? Let's do it. So first of all, have you seen his debut movie, Dark Star? No, I haven't. I've seen clips from it. I've seen screenshots from it. I hear everybody saying it's great. It's funny. It's like ingenuitive. And overall, it's a, it's a, it's a good parody of the sci-fi genre at large. Uh, but I've never sat down to actually watch it. And I think I've, a lot of that has to do with the fact that I don't want to watch a beach ball running around a spaceship. I don't know <laughs> if I can fully commit my brain to that. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. Um, it Carpenter himself has said the only thing that that film did for him was get him an agent. <laughs> um, the, the the only interesting thing about that movie, really, though it's not terrible, is that um, he co-wrote it with Dan O'Bannon, mm-hmm. right. who would go on to co-author Alien. 
And if you watch Alien and then watch Dark Star, you can clearly see where Dan gets his inspiration because Dark Star is just a sillier version of Alien. Yeah, exactly. So it is worth seeing once, but I can't mm-hmm. say too much else for it. I don't own it. I'd give it a six out of ten. I'd call it a rental um, for Dark Star, especially for Carpenter fans. But that's all I can say for it. Cool. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I'll add it to my watch list. Um, maybe I'll watch it. I don't know. But I'm I'm sure with especially when we get later into the list here, there are a few I haven't seen that are kind of uh, necessary for any film a student or just aspiring filmmaker in general to watch and i haven't seen them so those are going to take top priority oh absolutely yeah i wouldn't put dark star at the top of your list by any stretch of the imagination but because it's basically a student film that he mm-hmm. expanded so that i mean that's what it is but what about have you seen his 1976 film assault on precinct 13 I haven't seen that either. I'm ashamed oh! to say it. I haven't seen that either. I know it's one of his fan favorite films because um, that's when a lot of the tropes come out. You know, the Carpenter like uh, trademarks kind of come out on film. Haven't seen it yet. I know that it's kind of what got him the gig for Halloween, right? I mean, it got him the funding for that because somebody had seen that movie and they thought it was great. Right. I don't really know the full story, but uh, here it's good. Just haven't made the time to actually see it yet. Um, it's essentially a Western, which is his Mm -hmm. second favorite genre or second or third favorite genre. It's up there with sci-fi and horror, um, set in the inner city city during the seventies amid the kind of the white flight to the suburbs. I really like Assault on Precinct 13. Um, it's basically, if you haven't seen it, um, it's about a, a police precinct that's about to be closed down because of lack of tax base. And they have a gang leader in custody and the gang shows up to basically break him out. And there are just a handful of police officers that have to kind of hold him off. It's basically Rio Bravo set in the inner city. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't own it. It's not a movie I return to often, but it is definitely um, a high priority watch. I would say it's like a seven and a half out of ten for me. But um, the soundtrack is great. The score, you know, that Carpenter does is fantastic. There are some wonderful moments in it, and it's it's a high priority rental. So yeah, I, I would put that near the top of your list. Assault on cool. Precinct Thirteen, the the original, not the remake. Though the remake's right. not bad. The remake's not terrible with Ethan Hawke and Lawrence Fishburne. It's not terrible, but it's not nearly what the original was. So. Mm-hmm. We're going through this quick because we got a lot to go through. But Yeah, I've got more to say about films later because um, I hadn't seen these two, obviously. The rest that I have seen, th- these are what make him one of my top five favorite directors because um, though I haven't seen a lot of the film- films he's made, some of them aren't considered very good and some of them are considered cult right. classics, but they're not essential to his filmography. Right, I would agree with that, but... I don't want to say too much about Halloween 1978 just because I feel at some point we will mm-hmm. do a franchise review. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, maybe this October when Halloween Kills drops. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say this. It's on my top ten films of all time. It's mm-hmm. actually, as far as horror movies, it's number three behind Psycho and Jaws. It's a ten out of ten for me. It's a darn near perfect film. This is, I would say that it is also on my top 10 films of all time, uh, of any genre. And I would say that it is 
a 9.5 out of 10 for me. I know we <gasps> always get I know we always get into fights about nothing and not being that perfect 10. I don't think it's a perfect movie, but it did define the horror genre for about 10 to 15 years. So you got to give it props for that and it's oh. excellent. Well, you're right. It is excellent, but it has to be a 10 because not for me. what it what it gets right mm-hmm. is so much stronger than what it gets wrong. Absolutely. I would agree 100%. But it's a, it's a, uh, 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 oh man! I love Michael Myers, probably my favorite um, slasher villain, my favorite killer because I think he's got layers, even though we don't know anything about him, which is kind of funny to me. The score, the soundtrack was amazing. The acting, especially from the lead, uh, pretty good. I think she would be developed further in Halloween two and then later H two O. But I think she does a pretty good job in Halloween, Jamie Lee Curtis, of course. And then I think, actually, Halloween 2018 is her best role in the series so far. But, oh, I think it's her best performance, yeah. But mm-hmm. how good is Donald Pleasance? Oh, all? yeah. Yeah, he's amazing. He's like uh, the archetypal, you know, that that classic um, foil to the killer. And he knows what's going on, but nobody else does. But he's going to, you know, spout out ramblings of a madman. And later on, I think in Halloween 4 and 5, we see he's probably actually insane with the stuff he's saying. Um, <laughs> but uh, he's great. And uh, rest, God rest his soul, Donald Pleasance, he did a great yeah. job in the series. The prophet of doom, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, we will be talking a lot more about Halloween at a future date. And, of course, we will have to have Haddonfield Hatchet and Greg Amortis on and, and maybe some other people to do that franchise review. But have you even seen his uh, Carpenter's 1978 TV movie, Someone's Watching Me? No. I haven't seen Eyes of Laura Mars either. either. I had never heard of that. Well, that he he just wrote because he made money early on after USC as a script doctor Gotcha. But that was one of his few scripts, uh, full scripts that got through. Mm. Um, and so it, it, it's a good movie. Uh, Irving Kushner, who directed Empire Strikes Back, directed it. Um, cool. Tommy Lee Jones and uh, Faye Dunaway are in it. It's it, it's a good movie. It's the, the twist is a little too easy to see. But other than that, it's it's well worth the watch. All right. Well, that's, that's going on the watch later list as well. And it also, like this one, pops up on Amazon Prime every once in a while. Um, Someone's Watching Me as a Stalker movie Mm -hmm. uh, that I believe, I may be incorrect, but I believe he filmed after Halloween. It's not bad for a TV movie. Um, I would love to hear Joel, uh, Peter, and the Horror Unicorn cover it over on, well, I guess now they're doing a separate thing from Retro Movie Geek, uh, Terror on the Tube, but... It has guts for a TV movie at the time because it mm-hmm. features an openly gay character, which was rare at the time. Right. Um, they had one on the TV show Soap, but that was really lampooning it. Yeah. It's a, it's a 6.5 for me. It's worth a watch, and it pops up on Amazon Prime, as I said, every now and then. So if it does, if you see it, it's worth a watch. Cool. Man, I'm getting so many good recommendations today. I'm going to have a lot of work to do. Oh, and I, yeah. I, I talked to you before we started the show. I've actually started watching The Thing today as well. Um, so I've got a lot of work ahead of me. You've seen it before, though, right? Oh, yeah. I've seen The Thing. It's probably my fourth or fifth time watching it. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about have you seen The Fog? I have seen The Fog, and I have a lot to say about it, actually. Um, oh, all right. Let's hear it. 
I would say that The Fog isn't as masterful as Halloween. I don't think anybody would argue that. Maybe, maybe a few Carpenter fanboys would argue that The Fog is superior in some ways. But I would say that it's more fun to watch than Halloween. It's not as straight. What? Fun. <laughs> I would say it's more fun uh, because it has this like or- this aura of mystery and nostalgia and this little town which is married to the sea. I don't know. This whole vibe that comes from it always gets me. Um, and also the pirates who are these the the villains of the of the movie are really scary because you don't know a lot about them and what you do know is really you know mystical they're this they're these shadow people almost who come through the fog with glowing eyes and they kind of remind me of these tall haggard jawas with their you know <laughs> you don't you never see their faces but they've got these glowing eyes in the dark um and the child acting in this movie always gets me because uh, I think it's some of the best of any Carpenter movie. I mean, in Halloween, those little kids, Tommy Jarvis, I mean, I mean, not Tommy Jarvis, that's Friday the 13th. I'm thinking of the wrong, um, the wrong franchise. But the child acting, the first Halloween, I would, I would not say it's not very good. They come running out of the house. They're like, ah, help us. Um, but this movie has some great oh, child acting. Oh, I thought acting. they were fine. But no, I, I agree with you that the child acting in this is very good. I think um, I think it's uh, one of the standout features, you know, the mother trying to get to her son through this whole ordeal. You know, she's having to fend for herself as well, but she's worried about the well-being of her son across the town with these strangers, basically, and, and a few people he knows. I love this movie. Mm-hmm. It was I've been working through horror movies year by year. Um, originally started in 72, went back to 71. I'm up to 97 um it was number two on my best of 1980 list mm-hmm. right behind the shining and just ahead of the changeling and friday 13th um <clears throat> i first saw it on cable i've seen it many many times i own it i know that it had some problems um the first cut was apparently not scary at all according to anybody involved mm-hmm. carpenter went back did reshoots cut it differently than he had planned I, I agree that Jamie Lee Curtis's character is kind of shoehorned in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she she worked in Halloween, so why won't she work in this movie? Let's just make her a hitchhiker. Well, it was, you know, she did Halloween. It was a hit. And then she couldn't find a job at that mm-hmm. time. When she did The Fog, which I guess was before Prom Night and Terror Train, at that time, you know, she was telling Deborah Hill and John Carpenter, I can't get a gig. Mm-hmm. And so they wrote, rewrote the script to put her in it. Um, and, and it shows mm-hmm. Carpenter makes a cameo and it shows why he should be behind the camera. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. He's terrible in it. Um, but, but I love it. It's, it's a nine, maybe even a 9.5 for me. I own it. I have seen it probably a dozen times. I think it's a really fun movie. I don't think it's more fun than Halloween to me, but I, I, but it is just because I think Halloween is a superior film, but I do think it's a great film and I would recommend everybody who's a Carpenter fan, a horror fan, pick it up. Yeah, I would, I would call it a 7.5 out of 10, uh, nearing an eight. I would say 7.5 nearing an eight. Uh, I think it's fun. I think it's got this kind of like Goonies, almost like the same vibe as Goonies with this kind of, uh, sea town with all its mysteries and this kind of treasure and mystical pirates that kind of vibe that you get from it 
Uh, I do think Jamie Lee Curtis's character is shoehorned in. She's just kind of there to be Tom Atkins' love interest, I guess, even though she's right. like, what, 20 years younger than him? Um, yeah, that that's kind of a creepy... Yeah, kind of, of yeah. weird. And is, isn't she like a university student in this? Doesn't she say she's, she's going to university? Well, she's that young at the time, mm-hmm. to be sure, yeah. And she's talking to him. He's just this random guy driving down the road. But whatever, that's... He's you know, a mid-40s fine. guy with a paunch, yeah. Yeah, and it, it always... That always happens. I mean, in Halloween 3, which we'll talk about later, I'm sure, um, he's dating somebody who's, you know, 20 years his his junior, which is fine. I mean, I understand. I mean, it's Tom Atkins. Well, what are you going to do? I was going to say, he's the stash. Yeah, exactly. You can't beat him. <laughs> but, uh, yeah... I guess for me, it's more fun than scary. I mean, there are pretty terrifying scenes, especially in the church near the end where it's like everything is shrouded in fog and they're trying to board all the windows up and, and keep the pirates out, keep the fog out. And then right. they got to they gotta trade the gold at the end. They got to trade all the treasure. Uh, but they're all supposed to be a blood sacrifice, which we learned. But whatever, I'm getting off, I'm getting off track. I would call it a 7.5, nearing an 8. I would recommend you watch it. Uh, it's a buy for me, but I don't know if it's for everyone. It's not Halloween. It's not uh, the thing, but it is just as good, I would say. How good is Hal Holbrook in it? Um, let's just say this, okay? The entire cast is probably the set. Okay, the set design and the cast are the best thing about this movie. I would say that. Um, wait. What am I thinking of? Who who does who does how so, he's does, a priest priest right? Okay, oh that's right. He's the drunk priest in the beginning who finds the letters in the roof of the he church. He finds the diary. Right. Okay, yeah, he's great. He's like this old mystical guy who's like the secret keeper of the town, and um, kind of mysterious. My favorite part of the movie, um, is. When this guy comes around, he's he's like sweeping. Is he he's the janitor, I guess, of the church. He comes around, and the, and the priest is just drinking a whole bottle of whiskey down while reading this letter. He's right. like, Father, um, but um, I didn't remember him at all. Thanks for refreshing my memory. Oh, I, I think he's wonderful in this. He has kind of a small part, though. I mean, he's just well, he does, t- but he's still. I mean. He's still fantastic. I mean, I mm-hmm. I love the cast in this, even though I agree with you, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis is shoehorned in. I still right. like her in it. Mm-hmm. I like the entire cast. Charles Cyphers is kind of the doomed weatherman, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I I really like the cast. I really like this movie. And the score. And the score is amazing. So mm-hmm. I'm sticking by my rating. I say it's a nine to a nine point five. I say it's a buy it. I think cool. it's great. Mm-hmm. I won't argue with you. For all the reasons you love it, I love it as well. I guess I just love it a little less if I'm being objective. A 7.5 or an 8. All right. All right. Fair enough. Well, next up is a movie I know that I showed to you for the first time. Mm-hmm. I remember. Um, yeah. Not to spoil it, but my opinion, but one of the greatest action movies of all time. <laughs> That's a scientific fact. It's been it's been tested, folks. Yeah, proven. I think Let's, Cornell did a study on it. Yes, they did. Let's discuss Escape from New York from 1981. What's your opinion on Escape from New York? Well, you're right. I did see it the first time with you. I remember it uh, like it was yesterday. In my opinion, Escape from New York is one of the best action crime movies ever made. 
because yes. of the dystopian, it paints this dystopian, dirty, crime-ridden world. And I love that in movies, how everything is just accepted as fact, almost like Blade Runner in a way, where everything seems so alien, but it feels very lived in and you believe it 100%. Um, the entire movie is really tense and stressful because it's on a time limit. And um, it propels itself forward like no other movie I've seen before. But it still manages to lighten the mood with some occasional comedy, mostly from Kurt Russell's, you know, straight man attitude and all of these absurd situations. So I would say it's a fun watch. Um, it's better than the sequel, which I think we'll touch on later. But uh, um, anything, anything is. But well, <laughs> yeah, obviously. I would say the performances are great. Kurt Russell, as always, delivers an outstanding performance. Him and Carpenter have some of the best um, director-actor relationships in movies out of anybody in the horror or action genre, I think. So Escape from New York, it's an 8 out of 10 for me. I would definitely call it a buy. Oh, it's much higher for me. But, you know, it's you're right. I, I would say it's a, almost a John Ford, John Wayne Mm-hmm. kind of relationship they just they just seem to to click and the freaky thing about this was was this kurt russell was not an action star at this time mm-hmm. right he was elvis well yeah he'd been in, in carpenter's tv movie elvis but he had been in disney movies he was a child mm-hmm. star in disney movies and his kind of first like real grown-up roles had been in carpenter's tv movie and then in the, the comedy um, used cars. Mm-hmm. And so now it's easy to see Kurt Russell as an action star. Right. You know, this and Tango and Cash, Tombstone, Stargate, Soldier, you know, all kind of stuff. But at the time, that was a huge risk to cast him as an action star. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's sort of the same story as with uh, Pulp Fiction and John Travolta, where it was like, his career is something entirely different. He's been starring in terrible straight-to-DVD, or straight-to-VHS, I guess, for the time, yeah. uh, movies for 10 years now. But we're going to cast him as a, a hitman uh, across Samuel L. Jackson, and somehow it's going to work perfectly. Yeah, I think him going from Elvis in a comedy to him being this really cool action star, you know, Snake Plissken. It just sounds cool. He sounds like a guy you'd want to mm-hmm. hang out with. But you don't want to get too close, because he might just blow your no. brains out. Um he is scary, I think. He's mysterious in the beginning, but as you get to know him, he's kind of a Han Solo type. Yeah, he is. That's a good way to describe it. And yeah, I, I, I oh man, I love this movie so much. I had, back in the early 80s, we had a VCR, one of the early VCRs, because um, the church where your grandfather pastors that I took over um, they, their children's ministry would play children's um, cartoon Bible stories on that I'd have to record and play for them on this VCR. And I would take it home on the weekends um, after it was done, and I would record movies during the week. And one of the first ones I recorded was Escape from New York mm-hmm. and watched an edited version of it over and over and over and <laughs> over again. Love it so much. They shot it in downtown St. Louis, of all places, because it basically looked like a demilitarized zone at mm-hmm. the time. But, but the cast is great. I mean, come on. Kurt Russell taking a risk, putting him as an action star. Lee Van Cleef. Um, you have the stash, Tom Atkins, Adrian Barbeau. 
I mean, Harry Dean Stanton, Ernest Borgnine. I mean, on and on again. It's just an incredible cast. And who does the voiceover for the beginning, which was one of my is one of my favorite exposition beginnings of all time, which is kind of like taking the Star Wars scroll and just doing an exposition. Jamie Lee Curtis is the voice at the mm-hmm. beginning. And, it, oh, man, I just, I love it. Great cinematography, great score. It's fun. Donald Pleasance, it's mm-hmm. amazing. Now, is this also a sci-fi movie, technically? Oh, yeah, because it was set in the future. Yeah, it's a sci-fi action movie, yeah. Sci-fi action crime pseudo-comedy movie. It's everything, basically, with hints of horror, I would say. Absolutely, and a year before Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so basically setting the stage for sci-fi and crime action movies to come. So that's that goes back to what I was talking about with how Carpenter kind of forecasted what would happen in the genres he was working with. I completely agree. He's he th- in this period, he's a pioneer. Mm-hmm. Whether yep. it's the slasher genre or whether it's what would set the stage for Blade Runner, um, the Running Man, Total Recall. I mean, he's setting the stage for that. I mean, yeah, you can argue Mad Max came out a year before, but it's a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, uh, it's so much fun. It's a nine and a half out of ten for me. I have to put it that high. I know it has problems, but yeah, darn it, I love this movie mm-hmm. so much. I have seen it probably fifty times. I <laughs> own it. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. Yeah, still, I'm I'm sticking by the eight, the eight out of ten, but it might rise in the future. I've only seen it twice, um, but with what we've been talking about today, I may I may just have to rewatch it with what I know now. And, you know, reformulate my opinion. But from what I know right now, 8 out of 10, I would call it a buy and a definite watch. Oh, I may have to send you the shout factor. <laughs> Your next gift box, I may have to need send you the shout factor. I'm not complaining. What I have. Oh, man. So now we come to what has now come to be considered a classic. Mm-hmm. But at the time was a flop, Total both critically flop. and and box office. Mm-hmm. We're talking about The Thing. What Which are your a, thoughts on The Thing? It's a huge surprise to me that this movie flopped because looking at it now, it has all the elements of a classic. I mean, it's got a slow build to some big reveals. It's got amazing practical effects. It's got great acting from all over, some comedy beats, an amazing score, and a really remote setting with a, some amazing set design. The Thing is my second favorite Carpenter film, I would say, behind Halloween. Um yep. It's a long movie, but I think it, it works perfectly with the pacing and that it feels slow, but there's enough to propel you along. There's enough intrigue to always keep you invested. And then when stuff starts to really go down, you're you're down for it. I mean, it doesn't seem too ridiculous. As much a, a, a ridiculous as a concept it is, you know, this alien possessing animals and humans and kind of... Uh, shape-shifting into different things and blending in with the humans there in Antarctica on on top of all of it. I don't know why they chose that setting, but it is an adaptation, I guess, so they had to stick to that. Um, It's amazing, basically, is what I'm trying to say in every regard. I don't think it's as influential as Halloween, though among horror fans, I would say it's just as masterful. Oh, absolutely. And again, great cast, great score great cinematography 
and pretty darn bleak. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. A very ambiguous ending, I would say. Yeah, which, again, I think it, it, that takes guts. Mm-hmm. I When a movie ends that way, I know that leaves a lot of people unsatisfied. Like, I remember showing friends No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. And they were like, that's not an ending. I'm like, yeah, yeah no, that, that is an ending. You just I'm don't with like them. it. I'm with them on that, on No Country for Old Men. I mean, that, <sighs> is, that has made me go crazy, pull my hair out for years. I don't understand what? it at all. I know we talked about it, and, and you decoded it for me, but I still don't get it. Uh, I love when a filmmaker just says to the studio, up yours, I'm going for it. It took guts. I love it. Um, if you haven't listened to a podcast that you need to listen to, I mean, Jackson and I both listen to religiously horror movie podcast, Land of the Creeps. Um, but one of the podcast you need to listen to is best movies never made mm-hmm. where there was a sci-fi direct sequel to the thing that was being developed and it sounds fantastic. Um, I, Oh man, I would love to have seen that, but it's, I love this movie so much. It's my number seven on my horror list of all time in my top wow. 10. My number seven, it's a 10 out of 10 for me. I love the thing. So I got to ask you, who do you think was the thing at the end of the movie? Was it Mac or, or was the thing not even there? Was it somewhere else? I think the thing um, was somewhere else. Uh, I mm-hmm. like if you go listen to the podcast on best movies never made at the end where they do the direct sequel, they find Kurt Russell's character and Keith's character. They find them frozen to death. Mm -hmm. They take them, they test them. Neither of them are the thing. They die at a standoff, but neither of them are the thing. That's terrible. But the team that investigates it is infected by the thing. Mm -hmm. And then they end up, it comes out on a plane that crashes over New Mexico. Oh my gosh. And infects a coyote. How cool would that have been? That would have I been mean, cool. And instead we got the prequel in 2011. Ugh. I actually liked the prequel parts that, well, there were parts that were terrible. There yeah, were like parts the CGI that were effects. Yeah, those were terrible. I, I agree. Those were, those were God awful. I, I cannot defend that, but the things in my top 10, I love it. Now, I do think the thing was like you, the second biggest highlight of John Carpenter's career behind Halloween. But I think it had a curse to it. Yep. Um, Carpenter has admitted that because it flopped so badly, Mm -hmm. and this was a major flop, both critically and commercially. Critically, I mean, Roger Ebert said it was a barf bag movie. Yep. Um, but because of that, Carpenter's admit he lost a bit of his passion for filmmaking after it. And it shows with some of the movies he would go on to make. Yeah, it shows. He's, he had totally admitted that he has phoned in some of his jobs as a director from there out. And that begins with Christine from 1983. But Mm -hmm. despite Carpenter not really being passionate about it, um, you know, I look back on it. He, he kind of is bitter that he lost the right to direct Firestarter and had to settle for Christine. 
Well, I think yeah. that was a blessing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Uh, Christine, for me, is one of the first Carpenter films I watched. And with such a simple concept, I think Carpenter really delivers a lot of thrills and some great action. It's like uh, Maximum Overdrive, but better, basically. Um, I would say that the concept of Christine is pretty out there, pretty wacky, but the way they deliver it in the movie, it's pretty straight, um, and it does work. I think it makes you believe the concept. Yeah, it's basically a, a demon-possessed car, mm-hmm. which is pretty weird. But I love Keith Gordon as Arnie. Mm-hmm. I think he's fantastic. The scene where he goes, show me, mm-hmm. is right. one of my favorites of all time. Yeah, and I think it's hilarious how when somebody's becoming evil in a movie, basically it all all it is is their hair gets a little messier and a little eyeliner comes out. <laughs> that, that's great. Uh, so he says this is one of his least favorite movies he's directed, which I find really hard to believe because, uh, buddy, you did Ghost of Mars. So I mean, really, right. Christine, um, whatever. You know what I mean? Uh, well, he has recently retracted that a bit and says that even though his heart wasn't in it, it works. Um, I think it works really well. Mm-hmm. I, I, think I would agree. I think it's a fantastic movie. Um, I think there are scenes in this movie that are just iconic. And um, that just shows you Carpenter's talent. Even when he's phoning something in, he has the ability to deliver something that's amazing. It was when I did my letterboxed run through 1983. It was my number two of 1983 right behind Cujo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. I give it an eight and a half out of ten. I call Mm -hmm. it an own it. For me, it's 7.5 out of 10. It is one of my favorites uh, of 1983. It's also one of my favorite uh, Stephen King adaptations, though I haven't read the original source material. Is it a a short story or a full-length novel? No, it's a very long novel. Really? Very long novel. Yeah, and it's very different. So now we are a spoiler podcast. So, for example, one of the scenes in the book that did not work for me, and I agree with Carpenter changing... Um, though later we'll talk about a book where I completely do not understand why Carpenter changed something. But mm-hmm. um, one of the scenes in the book, so the garage owner in the novel, right. Christine drives to his house and runs through his house and mows mm-hmm. him down. That doesn't, exactly. doesn't, make, it, that doesn't make any sense. Exactly. How so would the, okay, first of all, how would the car get through it all the way and how would it not be so damaged that it could... It couldn't run anymore. Well, it fixes itself. So the damage is is it fixes itself. But how can it get through a house? I have no idea. It, it exactly. Was, it's a. I remember reading it, thinking that's ridiculous. And even for a Stephen King novel, that's ridiculous. Was he coked out at this time? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So there you go. Uh, yeah, it makes sense because it was around the same time as Cujo. So yeah, he was definitely very coked out at that at that point. Yeah, and it was only a few years before Maximum Overdrive. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. Yeah, his his writing desk looked like, you know, the the ending desk from Scarface. So, yeah. Um, but I love it. I call it an own it. I still mm-hmm. think Keith Gordon pulls it off. There are some scenes in here. And the score, again, the score is mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah, he always it, delivers with that. And the music video for it that he redid a few years ago is really good, right? And I've seen him do it live, too. He does these live shows where he'll perform the score in front of, like, a movie screen behind him. 
And uh, his performance of Christine was awesome. I mean, even though he doesn't like the movie very much, I mean, you can tell he loved that score because he really puts everything into performing that. Yeah, absolutely. So that's Christine. Next up from 1984, we have Starman. Or, as I like to say, John Carpenter apologizes to the critics for the thing. Yep, exactly. (laughs) So have you seen Starman? No, but I've seen a good amount of it through clips on YouTube and and occasionally it on TV. It was a bit of a hit. Jeff Mm -hmm. Bridges scored an Oscar nomination for it, and I think he deserved it. It is a sweet film, but it just doesn't really hook me. It Mm -hmm. doesn't, you know, it it really does seem like an apology for the thing. And that upsets me. Right. So it's a, it's a sci-fi movie, but it's mostly a drama that that's my understanding of it. Is that, is that kind of its tone? No, it's definitely a drama. Yeah. So is it, is it like romantic in tone? uh, Yeah. Okay. Well that makes sense. It is pretty much like a, like a critic bait kind of movie. Um, yeah. So I, Jeff Bridges plays an alien who comes to Earth and mm-hmm. takes the DNA of uh, what's her name, Karen. Uh, I can see her face. Um, Karen Allen. Her, Karen Allen. Yeah, his late husband's DNA. But he knows nothing. He knows nothing about the world. He's kind of a, just a sweet figure that she's kind of leading around. And of course they fall in love and the government's out to get him even though charles martin smith who plays the scientist who's like wait a minute we invited him here he's we should talk to him and it's it's kind of that chase thing and that kind of thing but um it is a good movie it just it's not one that i I, it's one i saw several times on cable in the 80s i recommend it Mm -hmm. i would say subjectively or no not subjectively objectively just from the filmmaking i would say it's an eight out of ten but it, it, it's not, to me, really that compelling, so I'd still call it a rental. So it, it's um, good but unoffensive is basically what you're saying. Yeah, it's a bit sterile. Gotcha. It's well, a that, bit vanilla. That'll go low on my watch list for this episode then. Yeah, it's, I mean, the main reason to watch it is Jeff Bridges is so good in it. Mm-hmm. But, so, next up, oh, I'm, I'm, really want to see how you come in on this one is big trouble in little China or what happens when you give John Carpenter the green light <laughs> to make a Kung Fu movie in the eighties while he's doing a crap ton of cocaine. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I love this movie. This, I thought you would. I thought you would. It's it's so this is a, what I wrote in my notes, fun and funny period. That that's my note for Big Trouble in Little China. Basically, it's a parody and a loving tribute at the same time to kung fu movies, with some serious scenes, like with actual kung fu and choreography, and then some really exaggerated scenes. And I think everybody's favorite scene from this movie is when the guy gets so angry that he inflates and explodes, which is kind of an exaggeration of what you'd see in some kung fu movies where people they just get you know they scream and their veins tense up in their neck. They he just took this to the next step. Um, I would say that uh, Kurt Russell's performance in this movie is his funniest performance in any movie I've ever seen. His one-liners are amazing and pretty bad. <laughs> They're basically dad jokes all the way through the movie. <laughs> they um, are. 
He's trying to be cool. He's basically trying to be Snake Plissken throughout the movie, but he just can't do it because he's not he's not quite he's cool. He's trying enough. to do like a like a mix of Snake Plissken and Captain Ron. Exactly. So he's he's like off-brand Snake Plissken and we love him for it in this movie. Um uh he is a trucker who's kind of thrust into the middle of this weird sci-fi kung fu like mystical and stuff. it's really weird it's really weird yeah it's definitely a cocaine uh high kind of movie where people are doing flips over over trucks and there's monsters and uh weird like kung fu fights on under the ground and this like uh temple kind of thing and uh, there's these Raiden type people from Mortal Kombat doing these weird tricks and stuff. Pre-Mortal Kombat. Maybe Pre-Mortal this is the inspiration for Mortal Kombat. It, it very well might be, and what an inspiration to, to, to take from your game. Big Trouble in Little China. I, this isn't one that I think a lot of people know is a Carpenter movie because it doesn't feel like a Carpenter movie. No, it's, it doesn't. It's... Um, not scary at all, I would say. It's it's more of just a fun time to watch, you know, something with your friends. It's not a serious uh, kung fu movie. I don't think anybody would give this props for its oh, realism. No, no. Uh, when people are on wires that you can see, the wires are, like, blatantly obvious as people are doing flips yeah. around in the air and stuff. But it's definitely fun. It's like if uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, uh, if that was on a bunch of cocaine and set in America. <laughs> It's bonkers. It's fun, but it's a stupid movie. Mm-hmm. And audiences who turned out for it, <clears throat> and that wasn't many in the 80s. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it, it was a flop. They hated the ending. Mm-hmm. I like the ending. Hated the ending. I, I, I think it's iconic. I, 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 yeah, I get that. And I do kind of like the ending, too. But I can see where people in the 80s would hated it. Right. It's setting up for a sequel, right? Yeah, which is anybody who can look at this and think <laughs> this is going to get a sequel. I mean, wow. Mm-hmm. I could see it. They are making one, right? I heard that that one is in pre-production. Uh, really? Yeah, I think I heard The Rock is in it. All right, so not Kurt Russell. No, but he might be in it, actually. Okay, I, I don't get it. But anyway, it's... It's bonkers. Um, it was absolutely hated in the 80s. I lived through it. I remember people just being like, this is stupid. Um, I think it's a decent party movie. Yep. Um, I give it a 7 out of 10. I call it a rental. But I will say that the Shout Factory release does look pretty good. So I may have to end up picking that up. Here's what I just found. Uh, I looked into it. Uh, so apparently a script has been turned in for Big Tr- Trouble in Little China, a sequel featuring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So uh, look forward to that in the foreseeable future. I don't know, 2021, 2022. But back to Big Trouble in Little China, you know, the movie we actually have. I would give it an 8 out of 10. I would say it's a buy if you're into Goofy, and it's a must-watch for anybody just to kind of, like, test the waters. Uh, if but it's, it's a if everyone. it's your if you're like a fan of how did this get made, mm-hmm. you'll love this because it's, it's you'll it's, love this movie. Yes. It's not really so bad. It's good. I mean, it's ironic. It's trying to be you know crazy, but in some ways it is so bad it's good. I don't know if some of the scenes where it's supposed to be serious actually it, it feels really goofy. So it, it has trouble with tone, but I would say overall it's fun. 
All right. So we're both recommending it. Mm-hmm. Big Trouble in Little China. It's don't a come, tentative. Don't, don't come at me, Internet. We're yeah. both recommending it. It's we're a both saying it's recommend. fun. I would say that's not for everyone. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not for everyone. But now we come to one of the segments that will make a lot of horror fans hate me. Uh-oh. Um, which we already know is out there. Um, I mean, we got one email last week that my wife wouldn't even show me. Um, but <laughs> I'll screen the, them for you from now on. Okay. Uh, but we all know the internet was created by Satan, why he had a bad case of hemorrhoids and the runs. <laughs> so, um, yep. Prince of Darkness from 1987. Um, let me read you my very brief. Oh, no letterboxed review is that all right yeah go ahead okay the anti-god who resides among antimatter produces satan which is swirling which is a swirling pile of green goo satan is of course kept by the catholic church in a leaky tube in the dank basement of an open church in downtown la no i'm not quoting from a scientology pamphlet it's the premise behind john carpenter's prince of darkness (laughs) Donald Pleasance is a priest who calls in a research team of physicists, along with A.J. from Simon and Simon, to investigate Satan in a bottle. Hindsight being 2020, he should have called in a young priest, a sealed container specialist, Orkin, and a gaggle of frat boys to deal with Alice Cooper's homicidal homeless herd. Prince of Darkness was a big disappointment to me when I watched it in 1987. The cast was so-so, Parker Jamison, really. And Carpenter had seemed to have lost his touch with actors with a tendency to go over the top. He had always been great at reining them in just enough before, but not here. (laughs) Now, John Carpenter is my favorite horror filmmaker of all time, but the mid-80s, you know, have not been kind to the master. While I enjoy Prince of Darkness, let me say that again, while I enjoy Prince of Darkness... It is not nearly as well directed as his run from 1976 to 1982. I stand by my theory that the lack of immediate success for the thing broke his creative spirit. He seems to have been on autopilot ever since. Following the IMDb rating system, I give it 6 out of 10 and call it a rental. What say you? Well, you listen here. I like this movie. Okay, I like a, it too, but it's, come on. It's a guilty pleasure for me. I won't bash you because of your opinion, um, because I have a lot of kind of low numbers for some classics. Um, I would say this is a guilty pleasure for me because a lot of people feel the same way you do, where the plot is really loose and the imagery is kind of weird. Um, they, a lot of people I've talked to... It's pretty so Yeah. A lot of people I've talked to say this movie is boring, especially kids my age. They think it's boring in comparison with something like Halloween. Right. Um, and I would say that it is slower paced than Halloween or um, Escape from New York. Yeah. Right. So um, I think it is, however, one of Carpenter's most disturbing works in general. I think the imagery is really disturbing. Um, and it's almost reminiscent of what Ari Aster is doing with Hereditary Midsummer. I think it has that same vibe. What? <laughs> the scene where... Um, yeah, I think it's got the same vibe to it. It is it's creepy, it's grungy, it's satanic. Um 
And I think the performances are are all right. There is, but it's ludicrous. There are quite a few moments in the movie where it lulls, especially near the beginning. And there's a scene where somebody, I guess, they're in a closet and they're watching the Antichrist being born, um, and they're describing the birth of the Antichrist to people through the wall. And it takes like 20 minutes for the scene to get to happen. I guess they're just uh, kind of stretching for time. But um, I like it. I think it's scary in quite a few scenes. I think Donald Pleasance does a good job as a kind of reserved uh, priest. I think the dream sequences are really creepy, um, where you've got like this figure in in the doorway of the church, and these you hear these numbers and letters, this like code almost, and then by the end you hear what this evil voice is saying. I think that's scary. I think the whole thing with the hobos who are possessed by Satan. I think that is creepy, especially the scene where this guy is approached by Alice Cooper, <laughs> hobo number three, whatever, you know, right. uh, uh, attacking him in this alley, and this horde of hobos comes after him. It is very reminiscent of what they live would be, I feel like, in tone, um, which is occasionally funny, but mostly like a social commentary and... Um, and an action movie in some senses. But I would say it's disturbing. Prince of Darkness is a guilty pleasure for me. 7.5 out of 10. And I would call it a rental. I, I own it. Can I just say I own it on DVD? Okay. I will say I love Victor Wong in this. Mm-hmm. And I love Charles Cyphers in anything. <laughs> um, if Tom Atkins was in it. Oh, if Tom fun. Atkins, it would go up another point. Um, Tom Atkins you know, somehow should have been the Simon and Simon character. Mm-hmm. Um, if they'd made him a professor instead of a student and just been had Tom Atkins and Victor Wong. Victor Wong. Could you imagine that? Tom Atkins and Victor Wong. Makes sense to me. I, I'm all in. Let's remake Let's go. it. Let's go. And Donald Pleasance, I love. He's just so over the top here. and like He doesn't a, get a lot of screen time, though, to be fair. But he's screaming every time he's, I That's mean, true. it's... Same is true with Halloween Six, though. And well, I shouldn't a... have I shouldn't have related that. Halloween Six sucks. Oh yeah, yeah. Halloween Six sucks. But I mean, okay. Look, I understand that most of the people who listen to this podcast, and I understand that John Carpenter has a low view of religion, and I understand, fully understand, the hate the Catholic Church has got because of the sex scandals and so forth. It's I mean, terrible. You just saw two popes. Horrible. So. I did just see the two popes, but I mean, I. I've read a lot of works by Catholics. I've, I've had a lot of friends who are Catholic priests. I, I, um, none of which have been accused of sexual misconduct, <laughs> folks. But um, anybody who knows anything about the Catholic Church, which I guarantee you John Carpenter knows next to nothing, mm-hmm. almost all priests and definitely all popes all have PhDs. John Paul II spoke 12 languages. Okay, so I knew that, and maybe I only knew that because I was a preacher's kid, but I'm sitting there watching this when I'm 15 years old and going, okay, so a guy who hid Jews from the Nazis and ended up in a concentration camp who speaks 12 languages and has a PhD is okay with Satan being housed in a leaky bottle Mm -hmm. in the basement of an L.A. church, which anybody can access. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yes. Yeah. But Why also, did they set this in the Vatican? Uh, yes. But also, uh, how did Michael Myers learn to drive? 
because he's because of fate. Because I can buy that. I can I can better buy that it's just fate. It's just he's evil incarnate. He's the boogeyman rather than, hey, we keep Satan in a leaky bottle in a basement <laughs> in downtown L.A. I mean, like, well, I think all, how did it get to L.A.? Who I think it's fate. a leaky bottle to L.A.? I think it's fate that Satan is in a gogurt, uh, a gogurt tube down in, down in a church. <laughs> Whatever. I can buy it. Hey, the imagery is creepy. It's got some creepy uh-huh. scenes. The score isn't standout, I would say, but it is serviceable and really creepy in some scenes. Uh, there are some practical effects, which I think are really amazing, especially with one guy being covered in bugs. And uh, there's some that skin There's that some is- skin meltage in some scenes. Um, so and that's who pretty believes cool. Satan is going to speak like, I have a message for you, and you're <laughs> not going to like it? Well... I like it. I like, well, I don't like the message, but I do like. <laughs> That's this, what the way Satan sounds like? He's speaking through somebody. Oh, okay. All right. I have um, problems with this movie. I do like it. It's mm-hmm. not a movie I revisit often because I do have serious problems with it, especially the casting. Other than Victor Wong and Charles Cyphers, who as always are amazing in it, I do think this is one of Don, uh, Donald Pleasance's weakest performances sure. and he wasn't super invested in it i'm sure no he doesn't appear so but anyway. I, it, i'm still coming in relatively high 7.5 for me you said 6 out of 10 so this is one of the it's, rare instances when i'm much higher than you yeah it is so now let me be a complete hypocrite and talk about how much <laughs> i love they live from 1988 <laughs> oh well um it is funny that mm-hmm. john carpenter works so well with kurt russell who is notorious for being a right-wing libertarian. Mm-hmm. While, you know, John Carpenter is a socialist, or at least claims to be, this is an anti-Reaganomics film about the evil of consumption made by a major studio slash corporation. <laughs> Sorry, exactly. but that's a fact. Consume, um, they live in theaters. <laughs> They'll see that on a billboard. Uh, that's a t-shirt. We need to have that t-shirt. Consume, they live. Um, Rowdy Piper, this is what's funny, was not on board for the message. Yep. But he took it because he was a capitalist. (laughs) He wanted the gig because he wanted the paycheck. But when John Mm -hmm. Carpenter said, I want you to go on tour and denounce Reaganomics and Rowdy uh, Piper in an interview with Joe Bob Briggs back in the 90s, he's like, "Um, I actually like Ronald Reagan. And so, (laughs) no. And John Carpenter got so mad at him that despite the fact that I think he's pretty good in this movie for what he's doing, for what he's doing. I like doing. I like Roddy Piper. I think that there are occasional moments of genius in this, especially the bubblegum monologue and the scene where he improvised. Right. And the two minute fight scene where he's just trying to get a guy to put some glasses on. Uh, Um uh. There are some occasional moments of, of genius, but I think a lot of the one-liners really fall flat. Oh, they're, again, they're dad jokes. They're not great. But some of them don't on. even make sense. Some of them aren't even really jokes. I, I agree with you. But first of all, I think the cast from top to bottom is stronger yeah. than Prince of Darkness. I would agree, yeah. Um, Keith David, you know, so forth. I, I, I think Charles Cyphers is in this again. I know it has huge plot holes, like the fact that you have a resistance fighting an alien invasion, but their headquarters are in a church, which you can just get in through an unlocked door. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 I get it. Um, it's stupid. 
but it's so much fun. I would agree. Yeah, this is a fun watch. Oh, fun. It's kind of a comedy just as much as like a biting social commentary and crime movie um, with action elements and sci-fi also. This is another like genre blending movie from Carpenter. Uh, I would say it's a fun action film with a few horror moments. I mean, the aliens are really creepy. That That's some great practical effects. And yeah. when they're first revealed, I mean, it's really shocking. I didn't expect them to look the way they look. It's just... Oh, so disturbing. This, like, skeletal creature of bl- with blue and red, like, dye all over its face. Um, so that's really creepy. And just the idea that these, these things are controlling society subliminally, I think that's a really creepy subject. However, I think the social commentary is really blatant, and it doesn't really make me change my mind about anything. Oh, it's preachy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's really preachy. And the irony, again, folks, uh, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to get political. I'm not a registered Republican or Democrat anymore. So don't don't throw shade at me. I'm really <laughs> not. I'm a libertarian at heart, which means I throw a pox at both parties. Um, but this is the same. And we talked about this when we when you were home last time. It's like the irony that, Ra- you know, members of rage against the machine go to occupy wall street, but they take a first class flight and a a limo to get there Mm -hmm. where there are people charging their iPhones condemning capitalism. And it's like, really? People like the idea, people like the idea of uh, equality and uh, abolishing capitalism, I guess. But when it comes to actually distributing the wealth and giving what they have to others, they couldn't be bothered. Well, it's just, uh, this is what Jordan Peele's Us is about, right? It's, okay, if you're going to be a liberal, don't be a limousine liberal. Don't sit there and say, I I retweeted something, and so therefore I've done something, which is basically what he's saying. What's, that's one of the messages of Us, is you've accomplished nothing, just like Hands Across America. You've accomplished nothing. You've just You just feel better about yourself. So give me a break. And so... Um, you know, that's the irony. It's like if they live were produced independently, you know, it'd be like, okay, you got some street cred. Mm-hmm. But when you're produced by a major corporation and you're denouncing a major cor- major corporation, it's like, what are you doing? I mean, mm-hmm. seriously, the I mean, the irony. Now, this is a fun movie, but, you know, yeah, the message falls flat. And again, you know, Jordan Peele's a liberal I'm a libertarian, but I love Jordan Peele stuff. You don't have to be on the same page with me for me to respect your message. In fact, most of the artists I admire are the exact opposite. Like, you know, heck, I listen to Rage Against the Machine more than I listen to Ted Nugent. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I'm just saying. But that being said, you know, uh, don't be, you know, punch you in the face with your message you know Mm -hmm. you know calm it down what makes this movie so acceptable is like you said there's comedy in it it's fun the you know the emperor you know rowdy piper's improvisation is really fun they're Mm -hmm. iconic scenes the bubblegum scene is fantastic it's a seven out of ten for me that's as high as i can give it from an objective standard but i own it (laughs) and i've seen it many times 
Well, we talked about um, movies that are really preachy and blatantly preachy. I think movies like Diary of the Dead and Survival of the Dead, mostly Survival of the Dead, uh, do that and they suffer because of it. I would say that this doesn't suffer so much as it just doesn't accomplish what it wants. I don't, I don't think it hurts the movie necessarily, but the social message didn't really get me to think about anything. It's just like, yeah, we get it. Capitalism bad. I would call it a 7.5 out of 10. I'm coming mm, okay. in a little bit higher than you. Uh, I enjoy it. I think Roddy Piper is awesome, but yeah. some of his lines are real stinkers. Um, he is just really WrestleMania. You know, he's just really living it up on screen and enjoying himself, right. which I kind of appreciate. But also, I cannot say I want any of those lines about his mama or anything on, on a T-shirt. Maybe the bubblegum line, but not that whole. What does he say? He he does a whole monologue about um, his mama and uh him having to kick butt yeah it's not it's not good but you know <laughs> um one of the guys i work with at the church i pastor actually did a movie with rowdy roddy piper or mm-hmm. av he'll Visual do anything guy. i'm sure oh yeah because the year after this he did you know hell comes to Frogtown, which is yep. one of the most bizarre movies ever made in which rowdy piper is the hero even though he's a rapist essentially mm-hmm. um but and and he and the guy i work with chris jones you know, he worked with him and said he was just a heck of a great guy, which is great to hear. And so, you know, I I enjoy They Live, but it objectively is it a great film. No, it's not. But it's you, it's fun. Do you really believe that Roddy Piper would be a drifter? Does that guy look like he's just living on the streets? Oh, no, no, no. It no, looks no, no. like he's got a gym membership and he's in there 24-7. He's got a gym membership and a hairstylist. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. I, I agree. Um, yeah, he could have, he could have chosen better at that time. But anyway, um, surprisingly after they live, it was a few years before John Carpenter was given the opportunity to direct another feature film. Right. It looks, and like, when he, looks like memoirs of an invisible man in 1992. Was the 1992 next one. was the next one. Have you seen it? No. <laughs> Although looking at the poster, it looks like a lot of fun. Actually, it was a mess. Uh, really? But. Chevy Chase that, is the Invisible Man. That looks awesome. In concept, it was. <laughs> um, it didn't work. Um, but that wasn't necessarily John Carpenter's fault. Mm-hmm. Here's what I learned when I worked in Hollywood. Sometimes producers pick a director who has had a series of flops because they think they'll be easier to boss around. Right. And that was the and case. And cheaper. And cheaper. It was intended to be a drama. It was supposed to be Chevy Chase's coming out as a dramatic actor. Mm-hmm. But once production was in full swing, they insisted, the producers insisted on rewrites to make it more comedic, and it does not work at all. That's sad. It looks like it would be great. I mean, you got Sam Neill and uh, and Daryl Hannah and Chevy Chase and a movie based on um, the novel and, of course, probably the Universal film. I don't know anything about right. it. Um, I don't know poster looks fun that's all i can say about it i would say it's a low priority for you buddy it's cool i'm giving it a four out of ten and i'm calling oh wow yeah well i'll put it beneath dark star then yeah even carpenter dismisses it as a piece of crap so it's yeah it's it's not good but john carpenter then got the opportunity to oversee the showtime analogy or anthology sorry body bags from 1993 Mm -hmm. have you seen it nope Oh, okay. This one you got to put high on your watch list. Body bags, okay. Um, now, like all compilations, 
it's hit or miss with the segments. Right. Uh, the best segment was directed, I believe, off the top of my head by Toby Hooper, cool. which is called The Gas Station, and it's set near Haddonfield, Illinois, and it's a slasher with cameos by David Naughton and Wes Craven. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. It alone is why you need to see body bags. It looks like Toby Hooper directed Baseball Man, the anthology. Oh, segment did he direct Baseball Man? Maybe and then Unleaded was done by Carpenter, I think. Okay. All right. Well, that, oh my gosh, that, that opening segment is one of the best slashers I've ever seen. It's mm -hmm. fantastic. You and it's on Tubi for free. Okay. Then you got to check it out because even if you just watch that first segment, mm -hmm. uh, the one with Stacey Keach, it's okay. None of them are bad. Mm -hmm. um, but the first one is so amazing and it suffers a little bit by the fact that the first one is so great and the next right. two are just good. That's kind of how I feel about Cat's Eye, you know, that anthology movie. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's how I feel about that. Was the, the first one was the cigarette. Um, yes. Like, which is amazing with James Woods. And yep. yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so yeah, that's, that, that always kind of ticks me off when an anthology decides to put its best one at the beginning, then it's kind of all downhill from there. But um, I'll definitely look into at least seeing the first segment because it's on Tubi for free. So why not? Yeah, you have to see it. And I would recommend to the folks listening to buying the Shout Factory Blu-ray I'm going to because I believe Justin Beam did the special features for it. And <laughs> anything he does is amazing. Yep, I'd agree. I mean, he even did Pet Cemetery 2, which is coming out. I hate that movie, <laughs> but I would watch it just for the special features. He'll make it entertaining. Justin yeah. He will make it good, yeah, because Justin, all of his stuff is is incredible. So I give Body Bags a 7 out of 10. I call it, but I still call it a buy just for that first segment. Cool. All right. Next up, we have In the Mouth of Madness from 1994. Have you seen that one? Okay. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I haven't seen... In the Mouth of Madness, I haven't seen Village of the Damned, and I haven't seen Escape from L.A. So we've got a string of movies I haven't seen that he directed. Um, in the Mouth of Madness looks really interesting. This is another Sam Neill movie, right? Yes, he's the lead, yeah. I love Sam Neill and pretty much everything he's in. Um, I think he's the best part of even the, the stinkers that he's in. Um, and I'm interested to see what he does with Carpenter, you know, teaming up with him again after what sounds like an amazing time for memoirs of an invisible man. Um, yeah. But I'm interested. It's more psychological, correct? It's actually Lovecraftian. Okay. Okay. So, so like the premise war. is that a core author has disappeared mm -hmm. and his books have a strange like influence on the people who read them and that when they go searching for him, his his writings have kind of come alive and started an apocalypse. Cool. So Carpenter, you know, called this part of his apocalypse, you know, trilogy. Oh, with the thing in Prince of Darkness. Yeah. So it's it's I think it's it, it was a flop at the box office, mm -hmm. but I think it was very well done. Um, there are times where I think Sam Neill goes a little over the top. But I do think it is worth it. I give it an 8 out of 10. I call it a buy. And maybe because at the time in 94, it was a bit of an oasis in a terrible decade for horror films. <laughs> yep. yep. So maybe that's what, in my memory, ramps it up for me. But I, I would definitely recommend In the Mouth of Madness. Char Charlton Heston is in In the Mouth of Madness. 
In a small role, yeah. Oh, okay. I saw it on Wikipedia, and I was very confused. I was like, this is very out of his usual wheelhouse. Yeah, he's in a small role. Um, Ju- it's basically Sam Neill and Julie Carmen. Mm-hmm. They're in the, the majority of it when they're looking for the the author who's played by Jurgen Prochnow. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, but it's definitely worth uh, checking out. Now, so you didn't see Village of the Dam from 1995. Nope. I actually know one of the actors in that. It's a really? friend of a friend, yeah, a sister of a friend. Mm-hmm. It was a huge flop, budget of $22 million, and it made $9 million. Mm-hmm. But I kind of like it. Is it one of those um, like child, like feral child kind of movies? Yes, it's it's basically an entire town um, goes into a trance, and nine months later they have a bunch of children, creepy children who kind of congregate together. They're all kind of Aryan children, blue eyed, blonde haired. They have psychic powers, that kind of thing. It has problems. It has plot holes. The cast is a little strange. Christopher Reeves and Kirstie Alley. Mm-hmm. But I I enjoyed it. I, I give it 6 out of 10. I call it a rental. Cool. Well, that's up there, too, for me on my watch list. I've got a, got a lot of work to do, guys. It's <laughs> a really remake. Swimming. It's a remake, but it's... Right. It's a know, 50s movie, right? Yeah, but it, it, 50s or early 60s, because I, mm-hmm. um, I know Black Children and White, of the though. Damned was... Yeah, was, was um, came out in, like, 63 or something like that. So I can't remember when the original Village of the Damned came out. But... Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I would call it a rental. Um, but now we get to Escape from L.A. from 96. Yeah. yeah uh, I saw it in the theaters, and um, I deserve my money back. <laughs> um, and in 96, that was like five bucks. Um, yep. Uh, okay, Bruce Campbell's in it, in a brief mm-hmm. role. Awesome. Kurt is great in it. Mm-hmm. Of course. But it's bizarre. Quite frankly... The only reason to watch this movie is to watch it and then listen to the How Did This Get Made podcast <laughs> cover. Yep. I hear, it goes, I, I hear it goes real ridiculous. It's basically like if they took Big Trouble in Little China and put Snake Plissken in it. Uh, um, okay. Let me say this to you because of where you're living. Mm-hmm. In the movie, in a, post-world, a post-apocalyptic world, kind of, it's a dystopian future like Escape from New York. And there's been a huge earthquake where L.A. is separated from the sea and it's become its own state and it's become also its own place of banishment. Mm -hmm. The um, White House has moved from Washington, D.C. to, ready for it? Mm -hmm. Lynchburg, Virginia. Really? It says that in the movie? Yes. Oh, man. It's basically the president is Jerry Falwell. I don't think there's any room for it here. I mean, we're kind of (laughs) packed. Where is the White House going to go? Uh, I'm just telling you. Uh, okay, that's a strange place to put it. Though, Lynchburg actually was on a Russian uh, nuke uh, list, places to nuke if we were to go to war, so I don't, I don't doubt it. Uh, well, it's basically, so President Falwell's daughter has been uh, quote-unquote kidnapped and is in L.A., and they send Snake Plissken to go get her. Okay, uh... Why? Yeah, exactly. So let me just <laughs> break this down. It's a three out of ten, and it's an avoid. 
awesome. Okay, I'm, well, I'm sorry, not but it down. sucks. It sucks. And I know Shout Factory's doing a release. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if Justin Beam's associated with it or not. If Justin does it, I'm sure it'll be interesting, but the, the movie sucks. It mm-hmm. just sucks. So one of the worst sequels of all time, basically? Yes. Yeah, in my opinion. Yes. It is. Yes. Just yes. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I won't be watching that anytime soon then. Yeah, it's it's worse than Lost Boys 2. Um, Man, jeez. Yes. So let's go ahead and gather some more hate online. Um, Vampires from 1998. Uh, Have you seen it? I've seen the trailer. Okay. I had high hopes. Mm -hmm. I'm a Carpenter fan. I really like the book. Um, The book isn't well written, but it is a compelling story. Mm -hmm. It's got a great plot. Yet Carpenter nearly scraps the book, and I'm not sure why. So, for example, as a former, you know, aspiring filmmaker, visualize this scene, okay? You have a bunch of SUVs going down a dusty road. They get to a, you know, a a house out in the middle of nowhere. They get out. They are vampire hunters from the Vatican. They march into the house, before they do, they put on their like crusade type armor, which includes a UV cross on their chest. Oh no. And so they march into the dark with all these UV crosses on because it's like sunlight to the vampires. How cool would that visual have been? It would have been cool. Does he not do that? He does not do that. It's gone. It's completely Great. gone. They're a bunch of rednecks. Oh. <laughs> who cool. don't even really like the Catholic Church. In, in the book, they're like crusaders. In the movie, they're just like, we do this for the money. And Oh, not... that could be interesting, though. Vampire mercenaries. But they're not that thorough. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, it makes no sense why they do what they do. You've got... James Woods is great in it, mm-hmm. but the problem is they surround him by people like... Daniel Baldwin, who's terrible in it. <laughs> and Cheryl uh, Lee. Cheryl Lee, yeah, who's okay. Thomas Ian Griffin, who plays the Dracula character, Valak, um, who went to the Jim Carrey school for overacting. <laughs> he is god-awful. He's the guy who plays one of the villains in Karate Kid 3. So it's like the mask, but... It, uh, <laughs> it's it's awful. I think it's awful. I, I It has a great premise. Mm-hmm. It needs to be remade as it was written. It has great visuals. You know, as somebody who is an aspiring filmmaker, when I read a book that has great visuals, I'm like, oh, man, I would love to shoot that. I mean, UV crosses going into a dark room to hunt vampires, vampires exploding in front of their chests. I'm like, this is gold, man. This is fantastic. And they're like, nah, they're going to wear leather jackets and just drag them out with a wrench. And I'm like, what? why? Why, John? Why? And I, I didn't get it. It was a flop. It's become a cult classic. Uh, Gilman Joel says he didn't like it when he saw it. I'm with him. Wolfman Josh and, and, and Dave Becker, Dr. Shock, they love it. So I w- will revisit it. Shout Factory does have a good Blu-ray out there, which I mm-hmm. will pick up. But quite frankly, based upon I saw it in theaters, then I saw it again on cable. So I've seen it twice. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I give it a four out of 10 and I call it a low priority rental. Cool. 
Um, Dad, I'm smiling. I'm I'm very excited. Do you know why? Why? The next movie we're talking about <laughs> is Ghost of Mars oh, from 2001. And have you Let's, seen it? Yes, I have. I hadn't seen the last five, but this movie I decided to watch. And oh boy, do I have a few things to say about it. I, I, I can't. I just can't. I mean, these three films in a row just hurt. Yep. They, these hurt. And coming from a man I so admire, mm-hmm. they hurt. Yeah, so give me sad. your thoughts. Give me your thoughts on okay. Ghost of Mars. So let me just set the stage. Ghost of Mars, 2001 sci-fi movie, right? Directed and scored by John Carpenter. Now here is the the, the cast list, okay? Ice Cube, <laughs> yeah. Jason Statham, yeah. Pam Greer, yeah, and Joanna Cassidy in yeah. a movie about. Well, it says it, Ghost on Mars. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. looked at Ice Cube, Pam Greer, and Jason Statham and thought, let's put them in an action movie, okay, uh, directed by John Carpenter, and it's going to be amazing, right? Uh, it's going to be written by John Carpenter. Oh. We're going to give him the reins to the script. Uh, and Larry Sulkis, and we're just gonna let them go crazy. Let's let's just see what they do, what their creative what their creative minds come up with. And it came up with the biggest flop, the biggest critical failure I think of any movie I've ever seen. It is just a total. Uh, it falls flat in every single regard, and I love it for it. You love it for it? Ironically, <laughs> let me clarify. So it's this a- is like a room love for you. Yes, it is like the room right. except with guns, and it's amazing. I can't go there with you, buddy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, you know, to quote the poet, existential poet from the 80s, Huey Lewis, sometimes bad is bad, and this is just bad. It's terrible. It's awful. It's a three out of ten to me. It's an avoid. I hate it. I hate this movie. Well, it's a two and out of ten It breaks me. my heart. It breaks my heart. It's a it's a two out of ten for me, but I would still say it's fun. Um, and uh, if you're gonna watch this movie, you gotta watch it with friends because there are a few laugh out loud moments which are taken totally seriously. I mean, the action in this movie is so over the top, but it is taken 100% seriously. So watch this with some friends with an open mind, and I think you'll have a good night. This is you should play this movie. You should play Halloween and the Thing. And then Ghosts of Mars, and then do an anti-drug commercial. <laughs> exactly, that's what it is. Yeah, before heroin and after heroin. Yeah, this is this is this is what happens. It's like Halloween, the thing. This is your brain. Ghosts yep. of Mars. This is your brain on drugs. Yep, exactly. Who needs an egg being smashed with a frying pan? Oh. I mean, this is this is it. Um, Ghost of Mars from 2001. Oh, How indicative of that time period of horror. Just oh. 2001 is Ghost of Mars for me in my heart forever. But this is, oh man, it's, oh, I can't. I just can't. Two out it's of just... 10. Two out of 10, avoid. But also, maybe rent it if you want to have a good time. Oh man, I can't even go there. This is not, and I own Nailgun Massacre, and I can't even go there. It's well, that's I fun can't. too. Oh man. All right. So, Moving on, have you seen what he did with Masters of Horror with Mick Garris? Nope. Okay. He did actually a good job. Um, Cigarette Burns is a movie um, that he did for Showtime. It was a Showtime series. 
he did two segments, Cigarette Burns and Pro-Life. Cigarette mm. Burns to me is, is pretty strong. Pro-Life is so-so. They're worth checking out. Um, the series, like any anthology series, is hit or miss. Mm-hmm. But I give them a 6 out of 10. I say it is worth it. Um, Mick Garris is a guy whose work, to me, is more miss than hit. But I really right. like the guy, period. Yeah, I, I, just think, I would say the same. Yeah, I respect him more than I like his filmography. Yeah, I like him. He just seems like a guy you'd want to hang out with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually so, like Psycho 4. I'm one of the few people that actually like it. No, Psycho I do too. I, I do like that film as well. I, I do mm-hmm. like Psycho 4. Um, I think he did a good job with that. But uh, but Masters of Horror, I would check out. It's not Tales from the Crypt. It's not The X-Files. It's not even Creep Show, the new Creep Show on Shudder. But I, it's worth checking out um, just to see the stuff that... because. It's good to see Carpenter, Argento, and others do things at that point that don't suck. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, just because we love them. So, all right. Now we have to talk about The Ward. Um, now, look, I like Amber Heard as an actress. Um, otherwise, uh, this movie. Have you seen it? I have, or at least I think I have. I mean, I was like, yeah, the ward. I thought it was all right. And then I looked it up and I was like, what? I don't remember this at all. I'm um, trying to block it to protect you. That might be it. I don't remember it being offensively bad, but I don't remember it grabbing me either. It didn't grab me at all. I mean, it's it to me, it's right there with like Craven's um, last film. And, and it, it's just... You know, you look at these things, it's like, how could, you know, John Landis make The Stupids? Or how could, you know, Wes Craven make My Soul to Take? And The Ward is up there on that level. Really? I, mean, didn't, I didn't find it offensive. I thought it was interesting that Carpenter was doing something more supernatural, um, which just like straight supernatural uh, uh, with a ghost, which is something that's not, not really what he usually delves into. It's very uh dated i feel like even though it's a 2010 film i feel like it's very much a 2010 film um yeah it's uh, yeah it's definitely to its time yeah mm-hmm. and it's i don't think it does anything particularly like amazingly but i would give it five out of ten it's a three out of ten for me it's an avoid i'm sorry right. i think it's terrible now Folks, I know I sound like I'm down on Carpenter. <laughs> Honestly, like I said, few directors, save maybe Hitchcock and John Ford, have had a stretch in their career where at worst mm-hmm. he's just good, and at best he's making classics like that stretch from 1976 to 1982, or you could even stretch it out to 83 or 85. I mean, it's it's incredible. He had a run that, to me, is almost untouched in film history i mean we'll wait to see what jordan peele does with his next movie if jordan mm-hmm. peele's next movie is great then jordan peele has matched it but you look at wes craven it was up and down you look at george romero it was up and down right. um even hitchcock you know i can't stand i'm sorry i just don't like marnie and you know mm-hmm. he would have films in there that were like uh, yep. you know but carpenter you know had a stretch where he's doing 
Assault on Precinct 13 and 76. And then he's doing one of the best TV movies. Then he's doing Halloween. You know, I haven't seen Elvis, so I can't. Then he's doing The Fog. Then he's doing Escape from New York. And then he's doing The Thing. And even when his heart's not in it, he's doing Christine and it's mm-hmm. and Starman. And you're like, holy crap, for a guy who's doing, and it's year after year. That's an incredible run. Yep. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, he, this guy has more classics and movies that are absolutely um, inseparable from the horror genre at large. Oh, I yeah. Mean, you look at the, A the pioneer. Run from, right. You look at the run from Dark Star, I would say all the way to They Live. They're all pretty good to great from there. I haven't seen Starman, haven't seen... Um, I didn't even know Black Moon Rising existed. Apparently, he wrote that. But um, yeah, he he didn't direct it. He wrote it. But that that's something that Tommy, mm-hmm. I think Tommy Lee Wallace directed, if I remember correctly. I would say they're all pretty good from from seventy four Dark Star all the way to to eighty eight. Um, but I mean, he did definitely have a slump. But what do you expect? I mean, he had been spending so many years of his life putting everything he had to film and wasn't seeing a lot of returns on his investments because as um amazing i mean we look back on his movies now and so many people have them on blu-ray and they they wear merch you know supporting it but back then i mean there was just not a lot of people going out to see his movies so i'm sure it's reassuring for him now to see that he does have a cult following and that people in the horror genre do appreciate everything he's done i would hope he feels that way i'm not sure he does um but i think that that run rival spielberg's run oh yeah yeah, I would say he has just as many hits as Spielberg. In that period, absolutely. And, mm-hmm. you know, and Spielberg, too, has dropped off. And then and, you know, we saw mm-hmm. Spielberg from kind of the mid-2000s on be really hit or miss. Yep. Um, you know, so it happens to every director. We saw it happen to Francis Ford Coppola. We've seen yep. it happen, you know. Um, you know, the one exception, because now he's been doing this for 25 years is as i would argue tarantino Mm -hmm. and the reason i think tarantino doesn't have too many stinkers is because he limits himself he only takes projects that he really wants to work on he doesn't just do paycheck movies he is invested in all of his movies they're all passion projects yeah right and i think the same is mostly true for scorsese i mean he has a few uh movies that kind of suck but most of them are respectable if not great because he's invested in all the movies that he's working on. Yeah, Scorsese has that thing where he'll make like two great movies, mm-hmm. then something mediocre, right. then two great movies, then s- mediocre. Especially early in his career. Well, it's 70s and 80s, yeah. That's mm-hmm. when he, he was really hit or miss. But in my opinion, because I think New York, New York sucks. I think that... Um, I think Color New York wasn't my favorite me neither i think it was well made but i i agree it wasn't that compelling um but you know yeah it's it's that syndrome de palma has that problem had that mm-hmm. problem for a long Definitely. time but i i think that you know like i said spielberg and carpenter may have the best claim to have like a six to eight year run where they were mm-hmm. just nailing it oh, just yeah. absolutely nailing it and so mm-hmm. that's why i respect him so much that's why i love him that's why i consider him a master (laughs) yep 
Yeah, I, I can't argue with you on that, and I'm I'm really glad we've gotten the chance to go back and look at his filmography, because you know Halloween 2018 came out. He executive produced that, um, worked on the score for it. Halloween Kills is coming out this year, um, later on in the year, and I'm looking forward to that. He's also executive pre- producing that and doing the score for that. So um, I will be interested to see how involved he is. I mean, Halloween 2018 was very faithful to the original Halloween, I would say, in tone and uh, in homages. So I'm sure he appreciated that. And uh, he's kind of seeing a return on on all of his years of yeah. work. He's had a resurgence. Here's, here's what I want. Let me run this past you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that over the last 20 odd years, his script choices have not been great. Right. Here's what I want. Let Jordan Peele write the screenplay. Mm hmm. Let John Carpenter direct it. Yeah. Bring Dean Coondy back in to be the cinematographer. Mm hmm. Have Blumhouse do it. Yep. And let's make a horror movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm in. I would crowdfund that. Um, I'm definitely interested in seeing what Jordan Peele could do with John Carpenter because you've got a newcomer to horror cinema uh, yeah. with some fresh new ideas. You've got John Carpenter, who's tried and true um, for several years of his life, nearly a whole decade. Um, let's see them get together and make a classic because... I could really see their creative minds working well together from what I've seen. They're, they're both kind of methodical, but also kind of easygoing. It's, it's yeah. a weird paradox. Um, yeah. So that'll be interesting. We'll, hey, we'll see what they do. I, I wish they would do it. I think, and I've, I've heard uh, now Jordan Peele's a huge Halloween fan. He's a of huge course. fan of the thing. Yeah. And John Carpenter, I remember an interview reading an interview where he said he loved get out. So maybe that could happen. So, I'm going to have to tweet when this episode comes out. I'm going to have to tweet to Ryan Turk and say, make this happen. And we Let's expect have... we expect to be credited if this idea is. Well, of course. Yeah. We, we, we creative, creative heads on this project. Consultants, associate yes. producers, whatever. But yeah, mm-hmm. Jordan Peele writes the screenplay and produces. John Carpenter directs and does the score with Cody and Alan Howarth, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Dean Coondy is the cinematographer, and Wolfman Josh is an assistant director. Yes. And Greg Amortis has a cameo, a cameo. Yep. and we have to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There this we is go. all coming together now. There we go, horror community. Let's make it happen. Yeah. All right. So <clears throat> uh, any closing thoughts on John Carpenter? Uh I know you want to say something as a musician. Yeah, I I think that that is one of the most fascinating things to me, that he's appreciated for being a director, but most people don't even know that he composes most of the movies he works on. I mean, he is an amazing composer. Self-taught, even though his dad was a professor, he's self-taught. Exactly. I mean, he makes iconic soundtracks, the themes for The Fog, Halloween, The Thing. They've all become super iconic these days, and most people don't even know who did them, but... You can go see John Carpenter do live shows, and that is a, that's a dream of mine to go see him play Christine in front of a oh, big screen. And with we a need to we need to make that happen. You yeah. and I need to go see him live. Absolutely. So that and he says he will do another tour, so we need to make that. Happen. I'm hoping that soon. Yeah. So so definitely we'll have to we'll have to do that. And also, the movies he's written as well. He's contributed a lot of stuff to writing movies. Um, I mean, Halloween too. 
Exactly, Halloween too, which I, he wasn't very invested in, though. I mean, he he basically yeah, took but a I still and a couple movie. beer cans. Yeah, me too. I think Halloween two is is fun. He wrote that. He produced Halloween three, which I think is actually underrated. It's not that bad. It's definitely better than the later Halloween sequels with Michael Myers, like five, six, and Resurrection. Holes, but it is fun. It is fun, and that's that's another Tom Adkins movie where he's got a, a young yeah, romantic yeah. Uh, counterpart. Uh, but uh, that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say. I mean, he's a master. Obviously, he's one of the masters of horror. That's why he was, you know, on that that anthology. So, uh, amazing stint from from the seventies to the eighties. He made a couple stinkers, but we still love him. Absolutely. And why we're on this, you know, because we have a lot of love for uh, horror movie podcast and for um, Land of the Creeps and. Also, Horror Movie Weekly, because we love Jay of the Dead. <laughs> and by the way, that, that being said, we recorded an episode with Jay of the Dead, which is no longer available, and we don't know why. We have, we have like, asked iTunes, like, why, what's going on? We have tried to reissue it. We have no idea why. Jay, that's not a personal thing. We don't know what happened to it. So mm-hmm. if you've got a copy of it, Jay, you know, send it to us. Maybe we can resubmit it. I, I don't know what happened to it. We really can't figure it out. And Megan has tried six times to try to figure out what happened to that and we've had a lot of emails asking for it and i said we just don't know we we just don't know what happened there so anyway um here's the deal the simple fact is um we say we're fans that because we want greg amortis to do all kinds of cameos (laughs) here's the other thing you know we love dave becker we love big bill but here's the other thing wolfman josh if you're listening out there as much as we love justin beam and we do Mm-hmm. There needs to be a definitive Halloween documentary directed yep. by Wolfman Josh. Yeah, let's make that happen. Wolfman Josh needs to direct the definitive Halloween documentary, whether it's for Shudder or whoever, that mm-hmm. needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I think we can get that going. I think if we get enough internet points, you know, enough Twitter retweets, we can get that happening. Um, I think that needs to happen. I think that needs to happen because we've got great documentaries out there about Friday 13th and Nightmare mm-hmm. on Elm Street, and even The Thing, if on The Thing special edition, there's, there's a great making of, but mm-hmm. we haven't had, we've had, I think, decent documentaries about Halloween. Yeah, but talking not, heads kind of thing. Yeah, like, we need a great one. We need like mm-hmm. a, you know, like a, what was it, um, the Psycho documentary, what was it, 70, that we need that, talking about, yeah. yeah, that level of documentary about Halloween, and Wolfman mm-hmm. Josh needs to do it. So, buddy, where can they find you online? On Twitter, I'm at Kane underscore Hero12. That's K-A-I-N-E underscore Hero12. And on Letterboxd, I'm at Kane Hero. I've also got a YouTube channel. You can find that in the descriptions on my account and both those websites. Yeah, great YouTube channel. Um, hope you have more videos coming up there. Top mm-hmm. 10 Hammer Films is incredible. You can find me um, under Pastor Matt R on Letterboxd and Twitter. And you can find this podcast everywhere podcasts are available. And we would appreciate a five-star review over at iTunes. You can find us online at fatherandsonwatchhorror.com and on Twitter and Instagram. We also have a closed Facebook group that you can ask to be a part of. Just let me know who you are and why you're asking so we don't get Ray-Ban um, <laughs> advertisements. So in the end, happy birthday, Mr. Carpenter. We love you. We admire you, sir. Keep doing what you're doing. Many, many more years of scores and movies. So Jackson, say goodbye to the good people. Goodbye, and remember, you know I mentioned Halloween 3 earlier, so 
There's over 200 days to Halloween, Halloween, uh -huh. Halloween. Over 200 <laughs> days to Halloween, Silver Shamrock. All right. Okay, folks. Until next time, remember, the family that watches Horde together stays together. See ya. Its origin, alien. Location, Antarctica. Age, unknown. Intent, survival. Destination, man. John Carpenter's The Thing, the ultimate in alien terror. Rated R. Starts Friday at a theater near you. Check newspapers for local listings.